We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Eurostep episode six. I'm Kane Pittman. I'm joined by Ty Windish, as always, fresh off the uh, Wisconsin herd game tonight. Uh, what's up, man? Not too much. Uh, you know, herd took a lead early. It seemed like it was going to be a great game for Wisconsin, and uh, just kind of fell apart. Kind of lost the intensity, is what uh, Jordan Brady said after the game. So there were some focus problems. You could see him yelling at Christian Wood. Uh, the phrase was "play basketball." Hmm. Uh, because Christian is such a talented player, but you know I've heard this from from coaches, players. You know he gets a little too caught up talking to the officials sometimes after not not getting a call. And I mean, listen, we watch Giannis play. We know that overly physical players sometimes don't always get the whistle compared to the their competition. Uh, I guess I guess Coach Brady felt like it was a little excessive tonight. But yeah, tough game for the herd. But uh, at least the Bucks' fortunes have been better recently. I mean, not very recently, but in general. Yeah, well, I, I mean, we, we're definitely getting to the box, but I also just want to point out that you, you had a front row seat to a couple of like – Christian Wood wasn't the only uh, member uh, or participant in that game that was on the box payroll. You seen uh, a player that's getting $2 million from the box this year. <laughs> Spencer, <laughs> Spencer Hawes, I heard, uh, made an appearance in Oshkosh tonight. He did, and he had a pretty nice game. He got some open looks, 9 for 15 from the field, 7 for 5 from deep. 23 points. I think uh, letting Spencer Hodge shoot seven pretty open threes is uh, kind of why Coach Brady thought there wasn't a focus down there in, in Oshkosh tonight. But, yeah, nice little game for Spencer Hawes, who made more than any of the other players paid by the Milwaukee Bucks tonight. No, good for you, Spencer. Uh, welcome back to Milwaukee. Uh, that's, uh, you know, 
real, real good, good, uh, good story for you. So uh, Spencer Hawes comes back, leads the South Bay Lakers. Uh, I'm assuming who lost Andre Ingram tonight. He's yeah, uh, no, he's, no he, Andre Ingram tonight. He's heading to the big time, so that's also a great story. But the Bucks so wait yeah. quickly. Do you want a fun fact? Yeah, please always. Just, just a fast fun fact. Andre Ingram. 2010-11 led the Utah Flash in three-point shooting and percentage-wise. Number fourth on the team, although he didn't have nearly enough attempts to really qualify, her head coach Jordan Brady, who was teammates with Andre Ingram back then. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I've, I've spoke to Jordan a couple of times. He's a big guy. He looks like a basketball player. I can believe that uh, I never saw him play, but uh, I can totally believe that he was a really talented player. But the Bucks, that's what we're here to talk about. And they had an interesting back-to-back. Charlotte uh, on on, uh, Saturday night, a team that has given the Bucs some troubles uh, through the season, and we've seen that. And again, we went through a stretch uh, of the game where the Bucs were down by double digits. Not an unfamiliar tale when playing these Charlotte Hornets. As they have a couple of other times, they break through and they end up winning very comfortably, 131 to 114. And then the night night after they travel to San Antonio, they don't get in till till very late, four a.m., five a.m., uh, and they eventually run out of gas against the Spurs, one twenty one, one fourteen. There was a couple of interesting storylines from that game, some potentially suspect rotations, and uh, you know some some real discussion points from that game. But uh, first of all, on Charlotte, uh, what did you think from that game? Because again. This this Hornets team is a team that's on the fringe of the playoffs. Not a team that you would suspect would give the Bucks much trouble, but here we are for the fourth time for the season. The Bucks win three out of the four, but none of them have been easy. Uh, what is it about this Charlotte team for you that that you think gives the Bucks trouble? And what and what did you see from that game on, on Saturday night? Well, I mean, I think I think Charlotte gives a lot of teams trouble because it's kind of a, a holdover from the Steve Clifford era. They usually. They don't play dumb basketball. You know, they, they got they, a lot of them, a couple of players got in foul trouble. I think that's sort of the Giannis effect. But usually they don't foul a lot. They don't turn the ball over a lot. They play within themselves. They have a player in Kemba Walker who can go off any any game. And, you know, he put up a nice, efficient 25 against Milwaukee. But I think part of it, too, is, you know, Charlotte's big. And we've seen recently teams seem to have a lot more success putting a big man on Giannis than they do a true perimeter player. And the Hornets just have plenty of big men. I mean, Marvin Williams is a four, but he's a pretty stocky four. Nick Batum is a lengthy three. Then you get Cody Zeller, Frank Kaminsky, and well, they both played. I guess Billy Hernan Gomez only got like four minutes, even though I, th- I thought he was actually kind of good. I-, I-, I never know what the Hornets are really doing. But they're-, they're a team with size. They play pretty large most of the time. I mean, Devontae Graham, who absolutely torched the the herd recently, got a couple minutes and put up six points, which was fun for me. I, I don't know if fun is the right word, but interesting. <laughs> Um, and I think the other thing, too, is the Hornets were able to not have a huge three-point shooting disparity from Milwaukee. You know, the Bucks made 17 threes. The Hornets made 15. I think a lot of the times the Bucks pummel a, a team. It's You can look at that number and go, oh, okay. So, you know, even if the team did an okay job on Giannis or if they didn't, if the Bucks just make way more threes, the math problem becomes tough for the other team. The Hornets made some threes, didn't let the Bucks make a ton of threes, and that certainly helped them stick around as well. Yeah, well, while you, while you're touching the threes, I, I think uh, you know Frank Kaminsky, who you know 
I mean, I've got an affiliation too, but obviously uh, being in the arena on Saturday night, he got some cheers when he made the shots. I'm not sure I'm totally into that, but he was 4 for 5 for 3. <laughs> he finished with 16 points. And that certainly, if you get an output from a guy like that who, who hasn't really been a contributor for this team, for him to have a night like that, it certainly made things interesting, particularly in the first half when he was really uh, running hot there and, 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 the shot, and the Hornets did run up that double-digit lead. But for Milwaukee... It was really the third quarter where this game completely busted wide open and it was Brooke Lopez, a little bit of vintage Lopez that changed the course of this game. He has 18 points in the third quarter. None of those coming from behind the arc. He does not shoot one three. Uh, You know, when you look at his line at the end of the night, so he has 18 in the third quarter, but he finishes with 25 points on only 11 shots, 10 for 10 from the free throw line. And we're really seeing the Bucks. And we have not seen this a lot. And this was what was so interesting to see because this is another little wrinkle that, and potentially something that a lot of people have forgot that the Bucks can have, particularly when Giannis is off the floor. If you can throw the ball down to the big guy down low, remember Lopez is one of the more talented post players in the league over the last you know, seven, eight years. He made a habit of this in Brooklyn, many times torching the Bucks for you know big nights where they had no answer for him. So, Lopez finishes 10 for 10 from the free throw line. He has 25 points, eight rebounds. And that third quarter performance from him uh, really changed the game. Is that when, you, when you're watching that and you see Lopez go sort of, uh, I guess, that old school style of play, do you think this is something that the Bucs are going to look to use more, particularly on nights that potentially maybe they're not finding other ways to score and Giannis is off the floor? Is this something that we can expect to see more, in your opinion? I mean, I hope so. That's something, like, not even just Lopez, but sort of in general that drives me crazy is when, you know, someone with that kind of size, like, let's say the defense switches and all of a sudden he's got a guard on him. Like, it's it's so, like, I, maybe it's not even the right call analytically. Like, if you look at the numbers, maybe I'm wrong. But it's just, like, internally I'm always screaming, like, post that guy up right now. Like, it, like no, no, like, Kemba Walker or whoever is not going to stop Brooke Lopez in the post. Like, even if they double him, then Brooke is going to be able to, you know, push it out to someone who's probably a capable shooter, especially considering Giannis has been knocking down threes a bit lately, two in the in the, the Charlotte game. But it's just – I would love to see that happen both, you know, when the team needs a bucket. And his you know, glacial speed drives, I think Eric Name calls them, <laughs> those have been pretty effective too. But, yeah, I, w- I would like to see – switch it up a little bit, you know. The, it shouldn't become the whole offense. It shouldn't be like we need to get Brooke X amount of post-ups per game, but – you know, if those three-pointers aren't falling, I do feel like this is something that kind of plagued the Bucks in, in the, the second of their back-to-back was sometimes they'll just settle for threes that aren't great threes. And I feel like that's how you go on a, you know, like the Rockets went 0 for 27 in, in game seven against the Warriors. Like, I think to run a team that shoots a lot of threes, you need to open it up inside first. I don't think it works otherwise if you just shoot the threes. And I think Lopez is one of the, the great keys to the Bucks doing that to make more space for the rest of the team and get a little bit of a rhythm going. Yeah, I think it's funny that you mentioned that uh, that Rockets, um, you know, the, the, in the Western Conference Finals last year because this is something that I've spoke to a few people about and it's the one thing that when you look at the Bucks offense, if Giannis isn't able – so just – and look, it's been very rare, but if, if the opposition is having some success in slowing down Giannis, how are the Bucks scoring if they're not making threes? Now, um, this, uh, again – it's been a very rare occurrence, but what we see in the other night is a, is a legitimate alternative to what the Bucks can do 
Uh, and again, I know I've already mentioned this, but when Gian- particularly when minutes when Giannis is off the floor, because the one thing we know with the Bucks is that they they surround whoever is on the floor. There's all the shooters on the floor at all times. So you can get a little inside-outside game going. And this is kind of old school, but you can dump the ball down low. The other night, the, the, the Hornets had no answer to Lopez. He's so big that you, you spoke about the glacial drives that Eric, I know Eric tweets a lot about, but you can't stop this guy. When he, when he gets his momentum towards the hoop, he is so big that there is not many guys in the league that can actually slow him down without fouling. So for Milwaukee... What we saw the other night was they would dump the ball down low. We didn't see a lot of quick double teams, but if that was to be the case where teams are going to double, start doubling Lopez down low, you already know that you're surrounded with shooters. We know the Bucks space the floor uh, incredibly well. That's another avenue to score the ball and to, and to generate open looks. So uh, that was the first time we really saw Milwaukee go down to Lopez and really let him take over a game. It changed that game. Uh, it coincided with the fact that the Bucks were, again, forced to, to go to that switching defense against Charlotte, which is something that we've seen every single time. Um, and again, Lopez was was a key to that, and he continues to impress uh, time after time that the longer the season goes, he's feeling more comfortable uh, guarding smaller guys. His feet, he, you know, he's able to move his feet quickly enough to be a real factor. There was one possession in particular in the, uh, in the third quarter where, Twice he the the guard and I, I think it was Kemba it was either Kemba or Lamb I'm pretty sure it was Kemba uh, he tried to go Lopez Lopez was quick enough to to quell that attack uh, he backed back out uh, tried to tried to drive in on him again the the shot was contested and the Bucks ended up turning it into a tr- transition opportunity down the other way so look Lopez is getting it done at both ends but certainly the interesting wrinkle was the post play from Lopez only one for five from three in the night he still scores twenty five points just three shy of his season high of 28. So there's something different from the Bucks, And, uh, you know, Bud pointed to that after the game, that, that they haven't forgot that th- what this guy can do down low. So, again, 65 games into, 65, 66 games into the season, we see another little wrinkle to this Bucks offense, which has been proven really tough to stop all year. Yeah, and just one more thing to add on the sort of, you know, making twos to open up three. This is another similarity the Bucks have to those 14, 15 Warriors something we've talked about a little bit about recently in the past. So that that Warriors team, the first in the sort of dynast, dynastic Curry era, their first ring, they were fourth in three-pointers attempted, second in three-pointers made. They were the best team in three-point field goal, or three-point percentage that year, which the Bucks are not. But let's just focus on sort of the other things here. So top five in attempts, top five in makes, 21st in two-pointers attempted, but second in two-point percentage. So they didn't take a lot relative to the rest of the league, but they made them at a very high percentage when they did go down there. The Bucks second in threes attempted this year, second in threes made, first in two-point percentage. Those things have to go together. 26th in two-pointers attempted, but 17th in two-point shots made. So you kind of you know adjust that to era. Since those Warriors teams shoot threes more, it's it's easier to you know go, sort of go full t- tilt towards shooting threes, but... I think there's a similar similarity there of, you know, you want your shots to be threes, but for that to work, you have to be making those twos that you do attempt. They need to be high efficiency looks. Yeah, uh, for sure. And and for the most part, we've, we've seen the Bucks that they either shoot threes or they're, or they're shooting layups. Um, 
certainly Chris Middleton uh, has been given a little bit more leeway with those those mid-range shots that we know that he likes to take. Giannis as well certainly went through a period. He's taken that step back now, but certainly there was a period through December, January where he was shooting a lot more mid-ranges. But, uh, you know, the Bucks again, it doesn't really matter. Like they are just a team that is hard to stop from scoring big-time points. They, they, they have too many contributors, too many guys that can score the ball. On that night, again, Nico Miritich, 3 for 14 from 3 in the two previous games. He comes in. He's 5 for 7 for 3 on that night. He has 18 points, uh, which is, which is you know, more what we expected from him. It's not that he's going to shoot 5 for 7 every night, but, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a beautiful shooter of the ball, uh, quick release. Uh, he's getting open looks in this offense. So, uh, you know, that's what we expect, that he's going to be knocking down shots and be that real primary option off the bench. He has 18 points. DiVincenzo was another guy, and we, we should talk about Dante because uh, he has 11 points in this one, um, three for six from three. He has a, a four-point play at one point there in the fourth quarter, plus 12 on the night in just 17 minutes. Uh and his energy, you know, regardless of what you look at the stats and what he actually did in terms of putting points on the board, his, uh, his energy, and this is something that we've seen early in the season before. I mean, he's had a lengthy, lengthy absence, but he just does stuff. And I've been talking about this all year, and, and sometimes I'm not really sure what it is that he's actually doing. He's just flying around recklessly. He's, he's trying to get rebounds. He's trying to get uh, tap backs on the offensive glass, but he just makes stuff happen. And, you know, when you are a rookie in this team and there's so many contributors, it was noticeable as soon as he got out on the floor that his energy was on a different level to everyone else. Yeah, I think that can be an underrated statement sometimes. It kind of almost sounds dumb on its on its face, but doing stuff is valuable. Doing bad stuff isn't so great. But, you know, there's a lot of players who just don't really make an immediate impact. Some Some players don't really make much of an impact at all. And just to have a guy, especially a bench guy, who's, you know, I, I guess probably sort of, you could say, rested. I mean, he hasn't just been resting. He's been hurt. But to have someone with fresher legs you can who's a younger guy, you can put out there and just say, you know, go do some stuff. Go uh, go spark the team, especially in a time like this where, you know, the Bucks are pretty solidly in first place in the, the Eastern Conference and the NBA. It's kind of like I think everyone right now just wants to see playoffs. I think there's a little bit of a, a slog happening at the moment. It's nice to have Dante who can just say, you know, this guy's real excited. It's his first season. He's been out. He's probably dying to play. Go out there and do some stuff. And, and he certainly has been doing some better stuff lately. Yeah, I think that's I think that's one hundred percent correct, and and it, I we we commented that at the game. I was sitting next to Eric Dame, and and we said the same thing. DiVincenzo looked like a guy that was desperate to play basketball, and the other guys looked like a group that had you know just come off a off a off a road trip, and you know they're just like okay, well we're the number one seed and. We've been we're sixty five games into this, and we know that we're probably going to win this game. Divincenzo wasn't having that. The Bucks were losing. He came out. There was one possession there where he he forced the steal. He got a little poke away to someone else. They started the transition ball. He got a huge tap back, uh, skied you know ridiculously high to get the tap back out to the three point line. And then in the same possession, he ended up on the floor to force the jump ball. He got a standing ovation from the from the five seven forum crowd, who to that point was a little bit quiet because there wasn't a lot to cheer about. That's not that's not a knock on the crowd. The Bucks were just were not playing well. Yeah, careful there, Clay Thompson. No, well, <laughs> I, I, I mean, 
I, you know, at times, like I see a lot of people, particularly on TV, asking about the Fiso Forum crowd, but uh, I think they've been uh, unbelievable all season. I don't think it always comes through on TV. And I also think that the Bucks are just uh, have been in cruise control for, uh, you know, the better part of the last two months that sometimes it's not that exciting. They're just winning games. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but they are just cruising through and winning games. So i got no doubt that this crowd is ready to go. But that play in particular got a standing ovation. And, uh, you know, again, it, ju- it just showed that DiVincenzo is hungry. He hasn't played, I think, since January 1. Or I know he played the game before that. But, uh, you know, he is hungry. He is ready to go. He's a rookie. He wants to be a part of this. And, uh, you know, it was exciting to see him out there. And, and it was a lot of fun to see that energy because, uh, you know, at times over the last month, we've probably needed that. And, and he came in and provided that straight away. The fans appreciated that. And it was uh, it was a really good performance by, by the rookie. Yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying there with the, the fans and everything else. I mean, there's usually, you know, there's more than a, a razor's edge width between the Bucks <laughs> and their competition. <laughs> this is a bad one. But all right, guys, we've got an announcement to make. Talking about razors, Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. I actually, this is not part of the ad read. I do use a Harry's razor. I'm pretty happy with it. I have what people would say is, I think at least decent facial hair. I don't know what Kane uses. Probably some crazy Australian device. Who knows? <laughs> but you listeners and Kane, if he wants to, can go to Harry's.com/bluewire to save ten dollars on a value trial set, which includes. A five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade. The lubricating strip? It's a big deal. Rich lathering shave gel. Richer than Spencer Hawes, who got getting paid $2 million by the Bucks this year. And a travel blade cover. You can get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door. That's just the shipping, I think. What, what, a, what a value. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's, especially for that price. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class razor factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee, if you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Speaking of a razor's edge width, NCAA tournament games come down to the wire. They're very close. And the first weekend of the NCAA tournament is the greatest betting event of the year. Whether you like filling out a bracket, picking a national champion, predicting first round upsets, or all of the above, my bookie is the perfect home for your March Madness fun. Will Zion Williamson and his teammates cement their legacy at Duke with a title? Can Virginia get past its loss to a 16 seed last year? They were my title team, so I'm, I'm, I don't know if I should do anything with my bookie, but maybe I will. And can Kentucky get back to the Final Four? If you know the answers, or even if you don't, like me, my bookie is the place to get in on the action. They have something for everyone, even you, multiple bracket guy or gal. MyBookie has been in business for years. Their goal is to give you the best customer service in the business, and the best part is they pay out fast when you win. I'm talking 48 hours. Bet with the best, then kick back and enjoy March Madness while you watch your picks cash. Deposit with MyBookie today with promo code BLUEWIRE, 50% sign-up bonus, promo code BLUEWIRE. 
with my bookie you play you win you get paid well well shit man i mean uh you could have told me i had time to like get a beer and uh <laughs> get some food and you know that was that was quite an ad read and again uh ty is the man for all ad reads and harry's uh you know i have got a beard i don't know how many people you know know what i look like but i'm going with the facial hair i have been for about 10 years and uh harry's they they do a good job so that was ty, a pretty good ad read too ty you uh you killed it again but let's get back to the bucks because they didn't win last night they lost on the back-to-back they lose to the spurs 121 114 uh Tough back to back. I think this was again one where we we looked at the schedule and and you know going back to last week where they lost to Utah felt like a really tough one. This one was much similar. Um, I think they get into San Antonio about four a.m. five a.m. Um, they do have all hands on deck and all the players play. Remember also they lost an hour for daylight savings, so really tough back to back for the Bucks. They start off really well and race out to a big lead early in the first quarter. They just can't contain the Spurs on the defensive end. LaMarcus Aldridge uh, has a big night, as does DeMar DeRozan, as he always has against the Bucs. We know that. Um, look, in the end, a typical schedule loss. It felt like a schedule loss, but there was some big storylines out of that and the rotations that I think many Bucks fans want to talk about and they want to know the reasons why this, this, this occurred. Pau Gasol plays uh, 14 minutes in this one. It didn't go well. It did not go well. Uh, I don't know. Minus what. twenty. Yeah, yeah, minus twenty. And and remember, this is again the Bucks lose by seven points. Pau Gasol is a minus twenty. Uh, you know, Malcolm Brogdon unfortunately uh, <laughs> has a really off night for by his standards. Twenty three minutes. He's a minus twenty seven. But you know, certainly he was charged with running the running the offense in a lot of those Pau Gasol minutes. And really. I was a big, I was a big uh, fan of the Pau Gasol signing, and we spoke about this. And it wasn't really because of what I thought Pau could do on the floor. So, yeah, um, it was about what he could bring in other ways. And I, I still, I'm not willing to say that Pau Gasol is completely washed and not a guy that you can play at any point in time. I don't believe that. But I will say that I don't believe playing Pau Gasol major rotation minutes against the Spurs, even if you were trying to let him play against his old team. Remember. This is a guy that was couldn't get on the court ahead of Jacob uh, Jakobodel and uh, uh, Lamarcus Aldridge. He's going against these guys. They know him. They know at this point what his weaknesses are, and they went straight at him. And it did not go well for Powell, who just didn't look like he had the uh, the mobility to even uh, get to the spots that he needed to get to get to. And that's on top of him trying to figure out. Uh, this offense and where he's supposed to be and how they work together. So, look, a really bad mix for Powell. It wasn't the night to try and play him this many minutes. Ersan Ilyasova gets the night off, which was the reason for, you know, Powell playing these minutes. But there was a guy that I think most Buck fans would have preferred to see play last night, DJ Wilson. Uh, picks up the DMP. It's a regular thing of late. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, and and you know, just from a broader perspective, what are you what are you looking for moving forward from DJ Powell, Ursan, Nico? Wh- where where are you seeing this? I mean, I think, and I've been pretty clear about this on Twitter. I think people are getting sick of me, but I've maintained all along that like I wanted DJ minutes to persist. You know, I knew Miritich was going to get minutes, and that Miritich is good. Like he he should get minutes. I I, I was hoping 
you know, Ursan would take more of a marginal role. DJ would still have some minutes there, like the Ursan slot, and then that would be that. And then Powell gets added. And like the reason I was so down on, on the signing, I feel like, and again, I didn't didn't think it was a calamity. I just wasn't a fan. It's because I was worried about this exact situation. Like, if he was really going to be the guy on the bench who, you know, provides that leadership and, you know, if Lopez is sitting out or in foul trouble or if there's a, a real big center, maybe he sponges up a couple minutes here and there. If he was going to be those things, I think it'd be just fine. But, I mean, he started his Bucks tenure by saying he wants to play and he expects to get minutes. He did say, you know, he talked to the coaching staff and, it was ongoing or whatever else, but he clearly wants to play. So far, he's gotten opportunities to do so. They they really haven't gone well. And I, I just – I'm just going to be concerned if this is, you know, more of a recurring thing where Powell gets 10 minutes every every single night because if it's not a blowout, I just – I don't see why you play him. Like, that's why – that's uh, part of the reason I don't want to sign him is, like, what's the role? I mean, we talked about after the Miritich edition. You know, there's already not enough minutes for – Lopez, Nico, Ersan, and DJ. But, you know, Giannis is going to play a lot of four and, and some of five, too. Like, where where are the minutes for those guys already? Now you had Powell. I just didn't see why it was necessary. Honestly, in this stretch of games where Sterling Brown and, and George Hill have been out, Isaiah Cannon would have been much more useful than Paul Gasol over these last few games. And maybe you don't want to make your decision on who you keep for the rest of the season and postseason on that. But, I mean, just stating facts, I think, Cannon would have been more useful lately. And I would love to see DJ minutes because I think short-term he's more useful. I mean, when his offense is good, he's a very useful player. I think his defense has been pretty consistently good all year. And I think that upside alone, plus the fact that he's stretchy and he can make good threes on occasion, gives him more upside now than Ersan or Powell. I certainly think if you look at you know next year, the year after, etc., he's clearly going to be the more useful player. So it's a little perturbing to me that you know he's not getting the minutes right now right so so here's where i stand on this i i don't think that the argument is between ursa and dj and power i just don't i think that last night what we saw was bud uh you know understanding the situation where the season is now First of all, we know that Bud loves playing veteran players. This goes all the way back to when he was coaching Atlanta. He will lean on veterans, particularly in the playoffs. I think that he – and this is this is slightly concerning. I think he does trust Pau Gasol, okay? And look, you can't blame him for that. This is a two-time champion. This is a guy that's gone to the Hall of Fame. But I'm not sitting here concerned about the fact that this is a this is a debate between Ersan, DJ, and Pau. I think this is strictly Ersan and DJ – uh, and last night, to me, felt like Bud saying, you know what, I'm going to play power against his old team. I'm also going to take the opportunity in a game that, and look, yes, the Bucks could have won that, but I felt like there was also Bud saying, I'm going to take the opportunity to get, get power some serious run with, with some of the starting players and just get him acquainted to this team in case he's needed because we know that DJ already knows what's happening. DJ can play in the next game. He's going to be fine. He's been around the team the whole season. I think that Bud really does put some emphasis on the fact of trying to get Powell feel comfortable on the floor in case disaster strikes and he is needed at at some point uh, in a really crucial situation because I've seen Powell out there and he looks confused at times. He doesn't really know what's happening. 
And despite the fact that he is a veteran and been around the league for a long, long, long time, that can't be surprising. He's only been here for one week. So I think that that played a big part in it. But as I mentioned, I think this is a debate between Ursa and DJ. So I tweeted some numbers out today. And this isn't – this is – you know, we, we know when we look at these guys play and we know what DJ can bring that Ursan can't defensively. Athletically, he's on another level. He's got the capability to switch between three or four different guys on the same possession. Uh, he's got so much energy uh, and, and he's just got that knack and he seems to have that defensive IQ. But here's the, here's, the, here's the problem with this and this is why we already know that Bud likes playing veterans and this is why it's going to be tough for DJ to play right now and it's easy for Bud to look at the stats and say, this is why I'm playing Ursan instead of DJ, no matter what we are seeing on the screen. So Ursan, uh, on the floor, so when Ursan's been on the floor this season, uh, defensive rating of 100.8 uh, and a net rating of uh, plus 9.6. When DJ Wilson is on the floor, the defensive rating is uh, 100.2. The net rating is 0.78. So 0.96 for Ursan. Uh, sorry, 9.6 for Ursan, 7.8 for DJ. So the numbers are very almost identical defensively, but offensively, the, the Bucks' offense is running better with Ursan on the floor. When they're off the floor, uh, the numbers are, again, are virtually identical. So this is, this is the trouble with this. And we've seen DJ do really good jobs on Blake Griffin, particularly early on that first game that he came in. But the numbers overall are not reflecting that the Bucks are any better with DJ on the floor. And that's where it's difficult when you look at the shooting numbers because for DJ in February, 30% from the field, 20% from three. In that same time, uh, Ersan shot 45% uh, from three and he's 42% from three in March. So... This is why I think that it's really tough. I would love to see DJ playing more. I think he's the future of this team. If he's a guy that you can find out that he's a legitimate rotation piece moving forward, not just this year, but next year and beyond. But his shooting slump came at a really, really bad time. And it came at a time where Ursan is really stroking the ball nicely. He's hitting his shots. We already know that Bud loves Ursan, So that for me is what has sealed what we're seeing right now. Um, where are you at on the Ersan DJ debate? Because those numbers make it, it, they really, despite what you're saying, they make it difficult to make a case for DJ and you can understand where Bert's coming from. I, I certainly can. My Just my lingering concern with it is, you know, I, I, a month is a good sample size, but I just worry that overall, and especially in the playoffs, the athleticism of DJ would fare better than the, uh, we'll say, savvy of of Ersan. And I I don't know. I'd have to look. I haven't in a while. I don't know how Ersan fared with the Sixers last year in the playoffs. It didn't feel like he was tremendous. I just think the game changes in such a way. But, you know, I I certainly see why Ersan is getting the minutes. And it's not – this has never been a thing where I'm like – you know, putting on my tinfoil conspiracy hat, like Coach Bud is actually bad because he's playing Ersan. Like, I, it's it's not that serious, but I don't know. I just I, I see where he's coming from in doing it, especially because this isn't a season where you want to like devote real minutes to developing a guy for next year. I mean, we've talked about it. This this might be one of the best shots to win a title, it's, at least to win the East. So. 
it's tough. It's tough. Those I hadn't seen your tweets. Those numbers make me kind of kind of regret being such a hardline DJ defender, even though he, I knew he'd had some rough games lately. Although I still think that the potential both now and later is is greater with him. I could see going with the high floor over the high ceiling. Yeah, uh, no doubt. And and again, I, the, the, despite I mean, I'm reading these numbers out. That's not me taking either side. I see arguments for both. I certainly understand why Bucks fans would be frustrated that DJ is not playing. I don't agree with a, a small section of Bucks fans that believe that DJ Wilson is the absolute. Uh, defensive messiah that uh, they tr- they're trying to talk him into me. I I can't remember a player that has gone from you know where he was. Remember this was this season when the Bucks picked up his uh, his option. I didn't see one person defending that decision. <laughs> Not one person. Then literally two weeks later, he plays a really you know has an outstanding game against Detroit and has that one possession that we will never get against Miami. And all of a sudden, he's like a fan favorite. He's getting like standing ovations at the Fiserv Forum. I, I just, I've never seen a transformation like this. And I think it's gone so far now that people want to like say that Ursan is this destructive uh, presence in the Bucks lineups. The number, you look at the numbers, that's just not the case. That's not, that's not what's happening. I, I agree. Ursan is awkward. Uh, he's had some bad moments for sure, but. The numbers tell you that the Bucks are fine with Ersan on the floor. And while he's hitting those shots, I think this is something that we've seen all season. Remember early in the year when, when Dante was hitting uh, his shots, um, he was playing ahead of Sterling Brown. That swapped over. Uh, obviously, Dante obviously got injured, but then Sterling Brown comes in. He's shooting near 50% from three, and he's making shots because I think a lot of these guys have interchangeable uh, talents that Bud's like, okay, look, I'm going to ride the hot guy. And if Ersan keeps shooting plus 40% from three, hey, you're going to keep playing. Because, again, (laughs) we know that he doesn't have – he's not a shot blocker like DJ. He doesn't have uh, a lot of the uh, physical attributes that DJ has. But what he does do is take charges, which uh, (laughs) at at, at an absolutely obscene rate. So everyone has different talents on this team, but is happy to uh, chop and change between them. the only concern is that that Bud would be so stubborn in the playoffs that he would refuse to take Ersan out because he loves the guy. And look, when the time comes, that's something that we're going to cross. But for now, I don't think that playing Ersan ahead of DJ is the uh, is is the destructive uh, move that um, you know we're hearing from some a section of Bucks fans that feel like it might be. But it's something to watch moving forward. But what I will say is last night. Sure, we would have loved to see DJ play against Power. Yeah, I'd love to see. I'd love to see DJ get some more reps because, uh, you know, what we have seen, this this guy is potentially a real talent that you would like to like to see uh, continue to get experience and be ready when that when the, when the time comes for the playoffs. No, for sure, and I think it's important to put in context what it is that you know is dividing Bucks Twitter and we're talking about minutes for the fourth big guy. Mm-hmm. Like, is this even? Is this even going to be like a spot that sees minutes in the playoffs? I mean, honestly, like you got to figure the starters are going to play pretty pretty heavy minutes in the postseason. So is Nikola Mirotic, who's the the third big, unquestionably. And we're talking about a couple minutes. That's all we're talking about. I mean, I, I'd be surprised if if everyone's healthy. Good luck taking Giannis out and having him play less than at least forty minutes tonight, probably around there in, in a close game. 
that leaves you eight minutes at one at one spot. If Lopez plays twenty five minutes, like there's not a ton left there after you factor Miritich. No, again, I mean that's where I'm at when I, I don't think this is the difference between the Bucks winning the championship or not. Um, and and you touched on it. I mean, Miritich is a guy that's going to get twenty to twenty five minutes. Certainly, there's been some questionable uh, results defensively with Nico on the floor. I don't think that surprises anyone. Uh, I also think that, again, he's a guy that's getting used to the system. But what we have seen with Miritich on the floor is the Bucks are rolling with a 120 offensive rating, uh, you know, which is, which is, I mean, that's that's incredible. I mean, Miritich is doing exactly what we thought he would do for the offense. So, look, that's only going to get better for the Bucks. Miritich is going to play major minutes. The more that we see Lopez showing the ability to, you know, which is just insane to think about. It blows my mind. But to see Lopez, uh, you know, play a really key role in the switching defense, uh, that that sort of, uh, uh, you know, erases any concerns that we had about him, uh, you know, playing in the playoffs. So, again, this Bucks team, uh, they, they continue to uh, throw up surprises and throw up different little wrinkles in the system. Uh, they are 50 and 17, 67 games into the season now. So only 15 games left in the regular season. Uh, and, you know, the interesting thing about this, uh, we, we spoke about the Bucks losing last night. But again, as we saw last week, that loss has no bearing on the standings because inexplicably the Raptors get blown out by the Cavs tonight and the Bucks still maintain that 2.5 game uh, edge over the Raptors uh, for the first seed, which is essentially 3.5 with the tiebreaker. So, look, while the Bucks are starting to tinkle with things and experiment a little bit heading into the playoffs, they're not losing any ground. No, I mean, they, they certainly aren't. And I think, you know, a thing that maybe hasn't been talked about enough, I think the loss of George Hill for the last eight games and, and Sterling Brown yeah, no for some of those has been huge. I mean, you mentioned, you know, the Bucks all hands on deck against San Antonio. That's all hands on deck of the guys who we knew weren't out, which those two still have. I mean, we're seeing some real Pat Connaughton at point guard minutes, and I like Pat C. I'm not a huge fan of of Pat C as the point guard uh, in an extended run. It's just not. It's just something that they're going to because they have to. I mean, the one game, the game against Utah, where they had no guards, Donovan Mitchell was phenomenal. The Bucks only had really like Pat C to throw at him, and he just he he wasn't good enough to guard him, and you're talking about that's like your fourth option of guys you would go to. You know, you'd rather have Sterling or Bledsoe or Brogdon, all of whom were out that game. I mean, there's some of those guys have played in some games, but it, the, the Bucks have not been at full strength, and their guard lineup has been shaky. So it, it's even even in in addition to everything else and tough scheduling and everything, they've also been shorthanded in some key areas. And you can't blame injuries. Every every team deals with injuries, but it, it is noteworthy that. Bledsoe, uh, not Bledsoe, uh, Hill and, and Brown have been out for a while now. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, I'm glad you, you brought up George Hill. Uh, Mike Budenholzer did hint at the fact that uh, Hill may play on this road trip. So uh, we'll see. The Bucks are in New Orleans tomorrow night, uh, taking on the Pelicans. They're 30 and 39. Um, look, <laughs> I, the Bucks have lost back-to-back games now, so we, we don't need to worry about that happening for the first time. But look, I, I, I think they'll be looking to bounce back. And then they head to Miami on Friday night. Uh, so look, George Hill, one to watch in those two games. It'll be interesting to see whether uh, he gets up for those two. But uh, I was looking at the uh, the schedule because we're at the point now where 
we are really looking to where this Bucks team, you know, standing-wise, when can we lock in this first seed and when can we say, okay, the Bucks are not only going to have uh, home court throughout the Eastern Conference Finals, but potentially home court through the entire Finals, which would mean Game 1 of the NBA Finals at Fiserv Forum if the Bucks happen to get there. So, you know, the Warriors uh, continue to lose games. So the Warriors are now 45-21, and 21. Uh, 24 games over 500. We know the Bucks are 33 games over 500, so they've got a four-game lead over the Warriors. They've got a three-and-a-half game game lead over the Raptors. And when you look at the run home for Milwaukee, once they get over this New Orleans game and then uh, the Miami game, 13 games left on the schedule, nine of those at Fiserv Forum. So there's some tough matchups in there. They've got Philadelphia. Uh, they also have Houston and Oklahoma City, but 27-5 at home. We're starting to get to the point where if the Bucks can navigate their way through these next two road games, uh, you know that number one record in the entire NBA is starting to look pretty good. Yeah, it is. And uh, just finally here, one one last thing to go with that. I know you. I think it was before we were on. You mentioned the Bucks' defensive rating since the break has been bad is like twenty first. Right, twenty first. Yep. So the Bucks were have one whole George Hill game in that stretch. They held Boston to 97 points in the game he played in a win. The Bucks with George Hill on the court, have a defensive rating of 96.4. That's exceptional. It's best among all Bucks players with at least 100 minutes. With him off the court, their defensive rating is 105.6. It's only worse with Nicola and Pau Gasol off, and that's just because the defense has generally not been as good right. since those two guys have been on the team. So no player has a bigger impact on the Bucks' defense this season than George Hill. So having him there to stabilize those bench units, I think. And, and you know, he'll play with the starters at times. I think that's going to be bigger than people realize for a player who might not have an outwardly huge impact in George Hill. No, no doubt. And, and and you know, we should really expect that George Hill is going to play major playoff minutes and, and play in crunch situations because Bud really trusts him. Uh, and, and when you look at that 21st-ranked defense since the All-Star break, Conversely, and this is again, we already pointed to the to the numbers with Nico, who's playing major minutes. The Bucks have the second uh, rated offense uh, since the All Star break, one fifteen point seven uh, net rating. They're still in sixth, despite uh, ranking twenty first in, in defense. So look. They are working through some things, and I, I don't think that we should discredit the fact that they have added some pieces and and also had some injuries, which which we mentioned. So look, they're they're working through some things, and at the same time. Still looking like a pretty functional NBA team. Uh, you know, we, we, we spoke at the All-Star break that you get through that five-game uh, trip, uh, road trip, which included Chicago, four games out west. This three-game uh, trip, which included the really, really tough back-to-back to San Antonio, and we knew that this was going to be a difficult stretch for the Bucks, and if they can work their way through and win, uh, you know, the majority of the games. They're going to really set themselves up and then be able to put themselves in the position to coast towards the playoffs. So, look... Certainly not panic stations yet. The Bucks will play the Pelicans tomorrow night in New Orleans, uh, looking to avoid losing back-to-back games for the second time. Uh, what else you got? We 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 happy to uh, wrap this thing up? Yeah, I think so. I mean, just the final thing is, you know, it's a, it's a bad stretch right now, kind of, and those happen. The Raptors lost four of seven at one point this year. The Warriors lost four in a row early and, and five of six in an early stretch. And then recently, I think they've lost... Since the break, they are four and five overall, so that's not great. No back-to-back wins since February eleventh or February tenth and twelfth. It's the last time the Warriors have won back-to-back games, so it's 
been over a month basically. This is just part. This is how it goes. Sometimes teams don't win. It's variance in the league, and as long as it's not sustained long term, as long as things start to look back to normal, especially when you know guys are are not hurt, I don't think there's anything to worry about for the Milwaukee Bucks right now. No, I think you're right, and the defense will be the key. That is what has carried this team. We know that. Irrespective of that, the Bucks are 50 and 17, just their second 50-win season in 30-plus years. So I, I think they're doing totally fine. But as I mentioned, they take on the Pelicans tomorrow night. Uh, me and Ty will be back uh, probably later in the week. We haven't we haven't locked that down yet. But this has been episode six of the Eurostep. Uh, thanks for listening once again, and we'll uh, we'll be back on the air soon. Thanks, folks. Also, the San Antonio bat is a conspiracy.